Hey guys, Riley here. Episode 27 is upon us, and with it marks many firsts for the podcast. Uh, most noticeably, uh, the absence of my co-host, Adam. Uh, he's stepping away from the podcast uh, for some time to concentrate on other projects. So for at least the next month or so, it's just going to be you and me. But it also marks the first time on the podcast that I've brought on a friend of mine to interview. Uh, this is not to say that each and every person we've had on the podcast before are not now friends of the show, because they are. Uh, but this is the first time that I've brought on someone I knew outside of the show to interview. Up until now, I've very deliberately tried to book people I wasn't familiar with for two main reasons. Uh, the first one being that I knew that only bringing on friends would be detrimental to developing my interviewing skills. Uh, I think I can say with some certainty that had I only interviewed friends of mine, I probably wouldn't have had the skills to talk to Steve Hackett, and that is saying something considering when you listen back to that. You can hear how wide-eyed uh, I sound during the whole interview regardless. And the second one, and perhaps more importantly, is that if I had relied on just bringing on friends when we'd started up, I think the podcast would have stopped when I ran out of friends to talk to. Uh, the booking and organizing of podcast interviews for people who don't know is a lot of organization with bands, managers, PR people, and their ilk, and it's a, it's an acquired skill that uh, I had absolutely zero talent for before the podcast started. Um, but this also brings us to a few other firsts, one being that this is the first time that I've had over a month of interviews stockpiled, but more importantly, uh, the podcast is starting to have enough clout that I can start bringing on people whose albums I really, really, really adore. I mean, uh, since Stonehall Sessions started, I've made a real effort to make sure that each interview we've done was with someone who's a little outside the norm. Uh, you can judge how successful I've been, and there have certainly been a few weeks where we've scrambled to book just anyone, uh, but by and large, uh, I stand by these interviews. Uh, yeah, but, 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 uh, but I'm getting sidetracked here. Uh, the interview with Bosfeld and many of the upcoming episodes are with people whose albums or EPs I've loved sincerely and have poured over for hours, sort of listening to the headphones, listening in the headphones, trying to pick out textures and production techniques. Um, so you're about to hear with Bosfeld's Veldbrand, uh, the sound of heartbreak is sort of sustained over eight tracks. Uh, the album itself takes so much out of me emotionally to listen to that it's become somewhat of a rare treat of mine uh, that I put on when I'm in the mood to listen to sort of the audio equivalent of the opening of the Pixar film up for 50 minutes. Uh, and I think to be able to elicit and maintain that sort of reaction over the course of such a long period of time is a testament to Bosfeld's abilities not only to, as a songwriter but also a producer and a ranger. Uh, there are so many moving parts to this album that all sort of coalesce into something disarmingly beautiful. Uh, however, <laughs> this is a big old however, uh, the mic cable that plagued us in the live sessions last week with the Autumn Stones uh, was stupidly used by me again this week when recording, and thus this interview is shorter than normal, uh, simply because you cannot hear many of my sort of meandering questions. Uh, I apologize for this, but now the cable has been trashed, so we shouldn't have this problem again. Uh, and... As always, if you can, throw us a like on Facebook or a follow on Twitter or a review on iTunes. I would be eternally grateful. It helps us out a lot. Um, it's the reason why we're getting to do, or I'm getting to do a lot of these uh, cool interviews coming up. Uh, so you guys have been doing a good job. But if you, if there's, if you could do one more of those things, that would be, that'd be super great. This week, just throw us a follow on one of one of those goddamn social media things that we're all, we all have to sign up for nowadays. Anyways. Episode 27, Mossfeld. I think you're going to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. 
but I, I mean, that's a good enough place as any to sort of start off is what's it like? Because uh, you're, you're a year into this. You're a year out from actually releasing it. And you're still following it up with music videos, with tours, mm-hmm. with all this sort of stuff. Is it, is it still fun for you to be touring with these songs? Uh, some of them I play less often, definitely. Yeah, some of the songs are definitely kind of stay on the album and I probably won't be playing them. But yeah, I think the songs are hopefully lasting enough that I can play them for a bit more time, I think. So. Yeah. And have, 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 you, have you sort of discovered things about the songs as you're playing them that maybe if you'd been recording them at the time, you would adjust it if you knew these songs inside and out like you do now? Or like, because the process for writing it was pretty long as well. It wasn't really like split up that way, like writing and recording. It was all kind of just one one thing from from the beginning. Like I almost write just by recording, like by recording for long sessions and then editing later and then cutting out parts I really like. I don't know. I think I'm pretty confident in, in my parts. Like I don't know if I'm really discovering anything new. Maybe sometimes if I, if I listen to the album, I can hear parts that I kind of forgot were even in there. Yeah. But that's interesting because that is a uh, that's sort of a recording technique that is very very modern. It's something that you wouldn't be able to do, certainly not pre nine eleven. But even after that, like maybe before the big sort of home recording boom, or like the mid two thousands, MySpace. You know, everybody was crazy. Yeah, multi tracking. Yeah, I remember it. There's this the first wave of sort of artists that came out, or like people who started uh, using all their home uh, home recording equipment were all these like. DIY sort of dads who'd record themselves doing old like new versions of old songs and it just at that point they were just so obsessed with everything everything being as clean as possible that all that music sounded so clinical there's like a real sterility to it Mm. and now I think we're getting into the point where people are embracing more of the uh, more of the nature of bedroom producing which is like there is going to be noise there's going to be sort of a different vibe to it um how did you come into that practice of sort of writing and editing simultaneously through DAW? Was that natural mm. for this sort of type of music? I kind of have a similar process for almost all of my projects. Like I'll write in, I'll write and record in software and well, kind of, yeah, same process I, I described earlier. Should you go through repeat the question? <laughs> um, it, like, Did it take long for you to develop this sort of style of recording and writing at the same time? Because that and is that sort Mm -hmm. of is that something that is indicative or helps shape you know the style of music that Bosfeld does? I think it has taken a long time. I think it's taken me a long time just to figure out what works for me, and I think I'm finally figuring that out now slowly. Yeah, and it's leading to this this process and. It's allowing me to be creative, I think. Yeah, like I'll just write in photo booth and just like hook up my USB mic and my setup to like one input and then just record the audio straight into photo booth. <laughs> like um, <laughs> coming in from the blue mic. <laughs> the blue mic usually miking my amp and then running pedal like pedals into my tiny little <laughs> amp. It's pretty ghetto, but it's how I write right now. I like it. Dang. Yeah, it's super DIY. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, man. Just how many headphone extension cords can you just hook up? You know, because that's a that's yeah. a USB mic, right? That's oh a, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's what I got. And then you just rip the audio off of the photo booth, and then I made a whole album the other day. My friend was getting married, and I made him a CD for for like a gift. And I was also performing at the wedding, like for like ambient music during dinner time, <laughs> for like forty minutes or thirty minutes. 
Um, but that whole album that I gave him, I recorded it that way. Like I didn't even EQ nothing. Just I don't even think I did. Yeah, I think I just recorded what was coming out of the bl- like into the blue mic and then edited it really quickly and put it on a CD. <laughs> That's what I did. That's one of those things. Just like normal, normal wedding gifts. If like the if the couple doesn't like it, like they, they just won't talk to those people for a while until everybody's sort of collectively forgotten about it. Your wedding gift is like on the floor. It's right there. It's, it's the dinner time music. Yeah. <laughs> how long, how long did it take you to decide to do that as a gift? Like, was that something you were uh, talking to them about or was it? No. Well, I was going to be a part of the, the ceremony or not the ceremony, like the, the after the dinner and things figured since I was writing, I decided to write, music for the event so i figured oh i should probably just record it if i'm writing it anyway and then said it oh if i'm recording it i might as well make it listenable in some form so i just figured i'd make it for them you know kind of like a little private album now did they come and request a certain persona that you record under or was it just (laughs) they requested requested (laughs) sad songs at their wedding and then i was like no this is not gonna happen like what are you thinking (laughs) no it wasn't like that but it I was just like, I think ambient music is going to be the easiest way to to do all of this. And then I just played my delay pedal for <laughs> 35 minutes at the <laughs> wedding. I played like three notes on the guitar. The rest are just looping and little drones. Now, do you have a history in ambient music? I don't know. I guess so. Yeah? I mean, yeah, I guess so. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that I've not enjoyed so much about a lot of the drone days is it seems to be a lot of people just adapting their own regular mm. music to make it nine times as long. It's like, mm. that's not really using drone to its mm. fullest extent. Mm. But uh, that's just me as like the jaded ambient artist that never made it because I don't think mm. anybody after Brian Eno did. Mm. So, um, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about, uh, I'll just say it the English way, Veldbrand. And let's talk about the, because, uh, I mean, the songs on them are all very heavy, and if you if you get into the lyrics, you're 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 really in for. It's not even emotional roller coaster because so often it's just you know a similar level of sort of tension that rides through these songs. But first of all, how the album start coming together because it was a it was a longer process, I think. Uh, photo booth videos in 2012. <laughs> That's it, man. So this I've this has been your process, process for a oh, while. Yeah, I've been doing the same thing. <laughs> I have hard drives of just videos of myself like singing into my own microphones and oh yeah I've been doing that for like seven or eight years now at least so do you just have like hours and hours and hours of things that you comb through yeah and so how do you start assembling that into like how does how does that turn into because photo booth you're using like the webcam thing right yeah (laughs) yesterday I recorded a squirrel hanging out with me by the park when I was in Ableton I was trying to eat my pizza. I'll show you. But this is like, I have it open all the time. Like, I rehearse into photo booth. I record into photo booth. Like, see? It's like long videos and just, like, that's me, like, outside. But this is a fucking squirrel. Just chilling. And then it just hung out with me forever. It was just hanging out. I'm holding my laptop, like, up to this squirrel. And it's not even flinching. But that was yesterday. I was just chilling on my laptop, like, doing some work. But anyway, that's, that's, actually my process is so i just use photo booth and an audio hijack pro which is like this <laughs> so then i just steal the whatever is going through ableton like if i don't want to like read properly record it i'll just set it to like 320 mp3 and just go so at least i have a good idea of what i was doing 
Jesus. That's pretty, yeah, it's pretty bad, but it's like, it's my only system. <laughs> so We've had people on this podcast who are like, we built a studio to write this record. We've had people say, you know, we went to famous producers to write this thing. Uh, we've had bedroom producers, but I don't think we've ever had photo booth producers. <laughs> yeah, man. Photo booth, Audacity, <laughs> Ableton. That's it. You're right. <laughs> Reaper. Well, I mean, if it works, and here's the thing is like, if it works and you're able to do that way, like develop that process and come out with something like Veldbrand, there is no excuse for anybody else, is there? There's no excuse not to be able to start making music these days. Or anything that can layer, really, like, there's so many things that can either sample or layer that is just like, it's kind of hard not to do these things now. That still blows my mind. Um, And so... Like, how long are you sort of shopping around, or not shopping, more more photoshopping, more uh, sort of cutting up and putting these things together? What's your next step after collecting hundreds of hours, I got to assume, of... Well, it all depends on where an idea is. If it's like in the early stages, then it'd probably just be a short idea. Maybe I'll end up looping it and just adding ideas to it or taking ideas out of it. Or maybe it's a more complete song idea and then I don't have to do too much to it. I can just... And start structuring it. Um, yeah, it's al- it's almost it's always different, but things start similarly. Things start with like a little idea. I probably just improvised in photo booth or something. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah, you almost. Describe- yeah, this is <laughs> iPhones. I use a lot of smartphone recordings. I don't have a smartphone right now, but when I when I used to, I used to use my iPhone to record everything. Yeah. So two minutes ago, Velbrand was one of the most beautiful albums that we've been able to discuss on the podcast. And now you've just destroyed everything that I oh. thought about it. Like, this is supposed to be you, like your Bon Iver moment where you sort of, I was in a cabin in the woods. I was isolated. Not, I was eating fucking pizza pizza next to a squirrel. <laughs> That's what it was. That was yesterday. <laughs> oh, man. And so, like, uh, well, let's talk about starting uh, choosing textures for where boss veld and choosing things compartmentalizing that sound over because you're how many different projects are you in these days where you are also five yeah five projects right now yeah and they run the gamut from boss veld to more electronic things that i don't Mm. think people would expect Mm. and so how do you how do you how do you start taking those ideas and developing things and going okay now this is boss veld and i have to make that boss veld sound like what how do you start deciding on that sort of palette uh, I mean, I don't really think about it like that, but the way better I better god, goddamn start. Hmm? You better goddamn start. The way the way I look at it is like, Bosfeld is kind of like the project with guitar, or there's a good focus on guitar-based uh, songs in some way, or guitar-based structures, and then the other, like Velodrones, is it's more non-guitar, like it's more computer, like MIDI controller oriented, and. Uh, and then the other projects are kind of just whatever people hire me to do. <laughs> yeah, really. That's, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's an interesting thing because I feel like a lot of these songs are modular in some way in that mm. you could strip away everything except for your voice and the guitar mm. and they'd still sound, they'd still have an emotional resonance with people. Mm. How do you start layering on top or when do you start you know deciding okay, I want to bring in strings for some of these things or I want to bring in a second vocalist or like... It's like... It feels right, you know, like when you're when you're multi-tracking and coming up with ideas to 
just yeah, whatever sounds right at the time and just trying out a bunch of different things and seeing what ends up working when throw away what doesn't work you know that's really all my only process for for that really yeah that strikes me uh it's crazy because i mean i did i did mention mention it before but like the the tone the the sort of feeling of listening to veldbrand um for me like it's it's emotionally exhausting it Mm. doesn't seem like something that would be you know sort of photo booth started and then Mm. you know whatever works whatever like can we like what's your process in starting to write lyrics like how do you how do you start developing that uh it's not like super contrived when it comes to lyrics it's it's you know whatever feels kind of right in the time and whatever feels honest at the time and then if it's if i feel it's good enough i'll just write it down and kind of stick to it if i feel it's right yeah that's that's all i got (laughs) that's all i got for that yeah but are you writing? Are are there characters on this album? Are there? Are you taking on other personas through it? Loosely, or is it- it's like loosely, uh, and loosely autobiographical. Yeah, there's nothing is like, like uh, super literal. Yeah, nothing, nothing that you could be taken to court for. Let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that strikes me about it, if you could go into detail, mm. sort of is bringing in so many different textures and like so many different treatments like mm. um, of more acoustic elements mm. that separate this album from more of a more of a conventional folk album more of a it, 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 there's a lot of ethereal qualities to a lot of the sounds that come on here and was that mm. was that a conscious choice how did those sounds start developing well it probably just sounds i really liked you know whatever i've thought was like sound i wanted to try to make or there was sound I wanted to hear and then trying to do it in a way that I felt was like, you know, kind of in, in line with my theories about sound and stuff. So there's a lot of electroacoustic uh, techniques being used all over the album and there's no synthesizers, there's no soft synths, there's no, you know, there's no melody. Well, there's probably melodyne on like background vocal on like track two. That's about it. There's like no, none of that stuff. There's none. Yeah, just tried to doing it, you know, no this click track on three songs, maybe two or three songs. The rest was just rehearsed and yeah. I was I was trying to make a point by by not including certain things, like nothing against synthesizers or anything. I just for this album I was really trying to just live sample or like resample the guitars that I had been recorded or using MIDI controllers, but MIDI controllers just to manipulate and mangle audio. And a lot of that done in real time and tracking that. And, and yeah, that's, those are kind of the ways that I, <laughs> that's kind of what I do. Yeah. But that's, that's a, how do you, how do you turn off that section of your brain? Because you do do so many different things in, mm. in different genres that say, that says, look, if I did this super quantized, you know, I can move these mm. parts around, I can make it sound perfect or, you know, sort of the other way, which is, you know, if I add a little synthesizer in here, it could boost the bass or it could like, or I, I could, you know, on some of the mm. drums and the drumming is sparse on this album, but mm. like on some of those, I could just boost those sounds mm. to get that perfect sound. How, how did you come to the decision to make something that was, you know, sort of free of, especially quantization or click tracks? Cause that's, that's crazy these days. Nobody, nobody records without a click. 
yeah, I was kind of trying to make a point, just like, from probably just to myself, just to see if I could do it without, you know, without using a click, like, to, or to minimize the use of clicks and to, to minimize the use of a lot of other techniques that, that I'm not as down with. At least for this for this project at that, at that time that I was making it and with a team of people, how do you how do you start to design it? Because you know nowadays in the age of digital music, you boot up your DAW, you have access to every single sound in the world. Mm. Uh, you could do almost anything mm. if you wanted to. You could have the fucking digital didgeridoos, uh, mm. you know, as a chorus. You mm. could you could you know sidechain that into your. Uh, 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 talk box or something like that mm-hmm. and have digi-redos talking to you. How do you how do you start narrowing it down while still treating these textures, these acoustic textures in a way that, you know, that couldn't have been done, you know, it, you couldn't make this sort of album mm-hmm. 20 years ago, 10 years ago even mm-hmm. maybe. How do, you, how do you start deciding these are the elements that I want to pull in from sort of ultra-modern Sources like something like Melodyne, even though mm-hmm. used it sparingly, or something like you know uh, repurposing samplers. I mean, I think it, I think it, uh, at least for myself, it took a lot of time to find the balance. Like, I don't, I don't know if there's like a, a, a quick answer for it, but I think just listening, listening a lot, just listening and listening and listening, and there's a lot of like bedroom, you know, recording experimentation and playing with MIDI foot controllers and hooking them up to you know delays and things and yeah it's sort of just i don't know if i answer this question properly it's kind of a modular project so like it could just be me or it could be me and you know four people or me and six people or it all would be would be a very strong statement like i had a lot of help on this album you know i had a lot of close collaborators including you know my friend jeremy and i had my friend pascal and and phil they were all very involved uh, in different ways, you know. Um, yeah, but I didn't. I didn't do everything myself. And project now is kind of shifting to like I'm kind of doing, you know, everything now, right now, as we speak. But I'm, you know, I have a team of about maybe eight or nine people signed up for the next the next one. So really, yeah, maybe yeah, eight eight to ten people. I don't, I can't remember. In what sort, like in a Bosfeld and the E Street Band sort of way, or in like just a, for just, just for recording for a new project, new uh, album, I guess. And how do you bring people into something where you know, into your photo booth aesthetics? Uh, how do you how do you make sure, like, how much free reign do you give people on, uh, on on these tracks? Like, is it something where it's like you've arranged it and you're bringing them in, or is uh, it? I'm the I'm the primary arranger for this album. Uh, a lot of the arrangements were if not at the very least just bounced off but like we're collaborated upon by by jeremy who's uh kind of helped me get the project off the ground jeremy malder okay yeah and in the beginning we were kind of like we were very into the project together now now things are changing and, and i'm kind of taking over and uh yeah so jeremy was there pascal helped a lot with with the recording he helped a lot with getting the drum sounds because that was pascal that was, uh, of Hylotrons and okay. of uh Fetnat choir director. What else does he do? <laughs> he does so many things. He's very very involved in the whole scene, and you know, as far as creativity goes, and members in the project, like I think, since I'm kind of the well, the musical director, I would say pr- right now I'm pretty much um, the main creative force. And um, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of keeping it that way, just because I think I I think I work best writing alone for the most part, and then directing with 
mostly done parts is kind of at least it's going to be the approach for the upcoming projects and to to a large degree like i think my my involvement was probably like 80 80 85 percent of the album is you know my creative direction mm-hmm. so that's kind of that's probably yeah that's what i got <laughs> yeah <laughs> but when you do start to bring people in the fold mm. are you like are you really looking for a specific sound do you have that already in your head or are mm-hmm. you bringing in people because you know because you're acting as both sort of writer and producer, mm. which is commonly something that people like to split up so mm. that there is sort of a different dynamic. But you're mm. doing both, and then you're also telling other people how to work. I, I guess let's let's get into your production techniques. Let's get mm. into because you know on the credits of the album, your uh, Bossfeld comes up a lot. Your your name comes up a lot mm. um, in, in in both the production, mm. the arrangement, the mixing. I don't think you did final mixing on it. No. And then preliminary mixes only. Yeah, and then, but let's let's talk about trying to bring something that is so you know it starts off in probably the most intensely personal way that a song can come off a mm. photo booth recording mm-hmm. into. Uh, let's talk about your changing relationships with the songs as you move from writer to arranger to producer mm. to mixer. Uh, sometimes it's my head. Sometimes I've done a few different demos of the same song. And maybe I'm starting to lean towards one certain version. And if I'm like pretty certain that it kind of maybe it needs drums, or maybe it doesn't, then that, that'll kind of determine whether or not I I get someone to play drums or not. Because on on Feldbrand on the album, there's you know a few songs without drums and there's a few with. And um, yeah, I was just trying to see like not to put anything that wasn't really needed at that time. Yeah. Now and as more recently, I think, yeah, my ideas are definitely, I'm trying to have more of a complete idea in general when I, when I present it to someone. And also just, I'm focusing a lot on future solo performances. So definitely seeing how much I can do on my own as much as I can and trying to ensure that, you know, the songs are strong enough to be able to be played just with guitar and singing and simply simplifying it people who sort of they've almost become so accustomed to writing 20 songs to get eight or writing 30 songs to Mm. get you know 15 or something like that and just do you find that your approach uh of writing and recording and refining is that do you think that is more economical do you think that that do you think some of these songs would have been thrown away if they were in like a package of 10 or a package of 20 that you were sort of deciding from no i think like the time where I was and the songs, I think they all kind of fit to me and I think they all fit the project and they fit the, the vibe of the album. And they all like, it took me, it took me a really long time. Like kind of just making playlists on iTunes for like, how was I going to put these songs together? And like, they were all kind of in chunks of two or chunks of three. And I just knew that they had to be in certain chunks, but I didn't know exactly how to fit them together. Not until just before it was released probably was I like okay I finally figured out like the track listing which you know presented it the way I wanted to present it and yeah I think I'm pretty pretty happy with it and I wouldn't um, I don't think I would take anything out were you aware when you were writing these things in the way that you were writing them that it would come out as something that was almost like oppressively cohesive it was like there is there's a it is a singular emotion for the most part on this album. And I think that is a great triumph. But was that something that you were aware that you were doing? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah? Yeah. I definitely like have consciously been thinking of 
the idea of cohesion for a long time and just trying to understand what that is for me and applying it the way you know the way i see fit kind of now that's that that's something that's uh interesting because in this day and age i feel like a lot of people moving on from this album your next one where you said you had you know eight to ten people who Mm -hmm. are gonna start helping you out with it how do you start to move on from that because i feel like nowadays there is such a people will attach such a significance to a certain album that now that the sort of feedback loop between creator and fan is so short, like it's sort of mm. like a Twitter, mm. it's it's instantaneous, essentially. Are you conscious of that there is now a very, very, very much of a Bosfeld sound? Are you, when you're writing things, are you, are you trying to write to, you know, sort of bring your listeners to a certain place? Or are you trying to stay within confines that you've set yourself out in it? Like, I don't know. I think. What's it like now concreting it, I guess? In in my in my mind, it's more so just maybe concrete in in the sense of like, you know, the record itself being like a similar sound kind of throughout. I don't since since I like was in charge almost of that of that sound in many ways. I don't think I'm scared to to experiment further and to to evolve that sound if I if I see fit or um, even to go more with certain things that I do think are working or. Yeah, I don't think I, you know, consciously or really, really think about the sound being a sound because I think that would be pretty boring, you know, but kind of just see what happens, whatever feels right and whatever feels, you know, honest at the time when recording will hopefully happen. But that's probably what's going to guide it more than thinking about exactly what sound because that's all that's going to be done in, you know, the pre-production almost. I'm probably going to figure out most of that stuff and I've already been starting to figure out the palette of sorts who knows if they like maybe they're gonna hate it you know maybe the same person that likes this album won't even like the next one so i'm trying not to think about anything like that you know i'm trying just to to go back to why even do this in the first place you know and just trying to to experiment all about the podcast world (laughs) yeah that's pretty much it is this the is this the first Bossfeld thing like is this the first of any Bossfeld stuff well there's a there was the mixtape before that and then there was like uh i guess you would call a single but it was like super home recorded little cover we did back in the wasn't the disco 1993 or whatever thing that shows up on spotify (laughs) i wish it it was that one and so do you like i guess do you feel like this is your debut album yeah i would say so in many ways this is like the biggest project i've ever, ever been a part of really the most amount of hours i've poured into something and the most dedicated I've probably been to a project ever. So I think, yeah, a lot of, you know, 2012 to 2016 is essentially the, the making of that album. So Yeah. And so how do you start taking that? Like, it was So Sorry, it's So Sorry, it's released on So Sorry, right? And yeah, Island it's, Leaf? It's in, in independently co-released between Island Life and So Sorry Records and also Moonboy Records. They did cassettes in Montreal. Yeah. Off the books, what is Island Life? It's just my label. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's just my label. Yeah, man. Okay. It's my record label. Vinyls. No vi- vinyl records. And also clean energy news. It's both. <laughs> yeah. It's not just one. I figured it has to be both if I'm gonna if if I'm gonna run it like a Tumblr and just updating it like you know. It's no other way. Having it on vinyl as your first release is Bossfeld. Mm. Having it released with So Sorry Records, which you know 
uh who are your label mates on that like you've got pony girl right yep. is that so sorry po- yeah pony girl i think um yeah. and um who's high Derek's? waters high, high waters Water, yeah. are on on so sorry records and owen davies also for sure oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like you're with good people there w- were you expecting that when you first started off with this and w- like what was the release cycle like was it a re- like did you approach so sorry records or was oh, it greg greg approached me back when he was doing it under pop drone and he approached me back that like what was that like, three years ago with the text messages <laughs> saying like, if you ever need help like we heard like you're mic- making an album if you need help doing something with it like let us know kind of and just kind of he planted the seed i, I started getting in contact with him a bit more and you know small town i s- see them every now and then at shows and stuff and um yeah greg has been extremely supportive you know he's he's been mailing out vinyls he's been getting them into stores he's he was the publicist for the whole you know first and second bike tour he got us a lot of press he got you know ctv to come to our gigs and got us a cbc radio one slot and talking to alan o'neill and he got uh what else our main competition main competition <laughs> the old say they say <laughs> and also he got um cbc music first play got us a premiere like a whole week the whole album was just the only album on cbc music first play that was insane that was like the craziest thing that happened yeah because about ten thousand people heard the album because of that so that was cool did you expect that did you expect it to be this big we were obviously like all of us like hoping that someone would listen to this thing we spent so much time on um but that's really that's that's all you got you know you just Hope that the people around you are going to help you get it out there. And yeah. that, thankfully, that this time, that, that was true. You know, Greg Greg and Julian both, they're the people behind So Sorry, Right? And Pony Girl, guitarist and bassist. And they're the, you know, big, big uh, reason for, for the album getting the attention that it's had. And now, is there pressure for a follow-up? Is there, like, do you feel, do you feel pressure? You got, what, like 600 listeners on facebook <laughs> i mean like i hope hope they i just hope they like it that's all i can say well i mean like because there is there is a vinyl out which of course i'll never pick up because i just like digital vinyl's useless who needs them even though i keep trying to give that away to my dad i was back i mean i'll take it i need a, I need a record player do you yeah definitely give mine away you mine of the guy from the Indie Blender, Dave from the Indie Blender. He took my, <laughs> he took my record player. Well, I was also giving it away, but he's the one that showed up to the house. It was kind of a trippy, yeah. Definitely. Definitely Phil Collins, because Peter Gabriel's live show videos I've seen are kind of whack. And we talked about this before, and I offended you a little bit. <laughs> but also, because Phil Collins played drums for John Martin, and I love John Martin. So that's all I got. Is that all you have? That's all I got. And I like production on some of Phil Collins stuff for sure, a bit more probably. But I also don't even really know Peter Gabriel, so I'm kind of spewing right now. I have no idea who he even is. Jesus. So as soon as this podcast ends, we will be listening to Mercy Street all the way through. Mm-hmm. 